Welcome to Real Life Church. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us online at reallifeankeny.org. Now let's join this week's service already in progress. This is God's Word. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we worship you and you are worthy. You're worthy of our singing and of our prayers. You're worthy of our minds and of our hearts. You're worthy of our thinking and of our affections. You're worthy of it all. We love you. We thank you for first loving us. For if you had not loved us first, we would still refuse you as our Lord and Savior. But you loved us and you came for us. And that's why we're here today. So God, I pray you'd speak to us through your word now. That we would have ears to hear. That your Holy Spirit would descend upon us in power. And that we would have an encounter like the disciples on the road to Emmaus when it says that after Jesus opened the scriptures to them, their hearts burned within them. In Jesus' name, amen. Real Christianity is found wherever believers in Christ gather around his message, which is the gospel, and his mission or his continuing ministry in the world. And his mission or continuing ministry in the world could be summed up with a word. And that word is reconciliation. Think about this. 700 years prior to the coming of Jesus into the world, the prophet Isaiah spoke. It's a very well-known Christmas passage. The prophet Isaiah spoke of the coming Messiah into the world and designated him the Prince of Peace. Gave him the name, among other things, Prince of Peace. That prophecy goes on to say that The government of God would rest upon his shoulders, and of the increase of his government and of peace, there would be no end. So Jesus is the Prince of Peace who will come to bring peace, and his peace will spread far and wide without end. Fast forward 700 years to the night Jesus was born, and the army of heaven came down, right? It says a host of angels came and appeared to shepherds and some sheep. The army of angels came down from heaven and proclaimed something. And here's what they said. They said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. 
So God's army came to, came to earth from heaven, came to planet earth, not to declare war, but to declare peace. In other words, God in the coming of Christ is on the move. God is on a mission and the mission has to do with reconciliation. What Isaiah prophesied before Christ came, what the angels spoke of when they appeared when Jesus was born, is like God saying, my agenda of peace and reconciliation is kicking into high gear in the coming of Jesus. And he includes his people in this. All throughout the Bible, God advances his mission, his purposes through people, through people that he calls to himself. When he called Abraham, Abraham was, I mean, it's like, like Abraham was a nobody. And all of a sudden it says, and God called Abraham. Okay. So when he called Abraham, he said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing. And through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Jesus said in John 20, 21, one of my favorite verses about this. Jesus says, as the father sent me into the world, even so I send you. And all throughout the book of Acts, we see these early followers of Jesus gathering more and more people together in this new community called the church. So here at Real Life Church, we have the exciting and the serious privilege of being part of advancing God's reconciling agenda in the world. You as an individual and we as a church have this privilege of advancing God's agenda of reconciliation. Let's look how Paul explains this mission. In verse 18, he says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. All this is from God, who, and who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I love how it's so clear. God is not waiting for anything to happen. God is initiating. God does not wait for you and for I to clean up our acts, to get with the program. He comes to us. He reconciles us. He is a reconciler. God is not saying, if you meet me halfway, I will meet you halfway. God comes and reconciles. He's a reconciler. And who are these characters? Who are the kind of people that God reconciles? Before we press in this passage anymore, I just want to consider who God is reconciling, you and me. But what kind of people are we? What sort of people is God going after in this world? The fact that God reconciles people like you and I and gives us a ministry of reconciliation, so this ministry is continuing, assumes something huge that we need to assume. It assumes that there is alienation from God. That there is separation from God. That it is real. People really live separate from God. In fact, in Romans 5, it says that people are not only distant and separate from God, but they are also not neutral in their distance from him. There are no distant but innocent and neutral bystanders. No, prior to reconciliation, the Bible is very clear that people are hostile to God. That people are 
People hate God. They are hostile to him. Here's what Romans 5 5 verse 10 says. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Now some might say while enemies. Yes, while enemies, we were reconciled to God. He wasn't looking for people who were kind of making their way toward him. He came after Rebels. There's a song called All I Have is Christ sung by Sovereign Grace Ministries. And there's a line that says this, if you had not loved me first, I would, ref- I would refuse you still. And that's true. Had God not in love came for us, we would still be stiff-arming him. We would still refuse him. Nancy Scott, who's an author and former atheist, shares personally of how this happened to her, God coming for her. Here's what she said. On the day I picked up a Bible on a whim, I could not have been less interested in what it said. Rather, as a confirmed atheist, I was intent on winning an argument against my Christian coworker. Looking back, it was clear that I was God's enemy. Yet on that day, the words on the the pages of the Bible came alive to me in a way that I never could have expected. Within a few hours, I was asking God, whom moments before I believed did not exist, to show me his way. Since then, it has been clear to me that this salvation is God's. He pursued me. I did not pursue him. This is what is so amazing about salvation, about reconciliation. It is God coming for totally undeserving people. He pursues enemies. Listen to this. He pursues enemies and offers them friendship. I mean, we, when, when Matt was up here talking earlier about being a friend of God and how he loves me, but it's so amazing. It's more than just sentimental feelings, right? It's amazing because it is run through with grace. We don't deserve it. We were enemies of his when he loved us and came for us. He pursues enemies and offers friendship. And here's what God does when he offers friendship. He brings us close to himself. He brings us close to himself. When we sing that song, I mean, it, it, can, it could just be sentimental. But when we say, he loves me, we, in Christ, because of Christ, we ought to be able to say that with deep emotion and deep feeling because he does love you and he does love me. Listen, when, he, when God reconciles enemies, makes them friends, he does not merely tolerate us. I love that. He doesn't just tolerate us like, well, I guess I'm stuck with you. I did something, right? Point of no return. I guess I, I got you for eternity. No, he's not, he does not just tolerate us. He does not have to hold his nose in order to come close to us or draw us close to himself. He brings you and I through Christ to the deepest part of his heart. He withholds nothing from us. He withholds nothing from us. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Have you received this offer of friendship with Christ? 
Have you received this offer of friendship with God through Jesus Christ? This is radical love. This is radical love for for the undeserving. Like you and me. It is here for the taking today. But how does does God's reconciling love for the undeserving come down from above in our actual experience? Paul unpacks that for us here. Verse 19 explains this when it says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So how does God reconcile? How does this come down from heaven into our experience, into our lives? How does God intrude in our lives with this reconciliation? He does it on two levels. Verse 19 answers this on two levels. Back in the past and now in the present. God does something back in the past, or he did something back in the past, and he does something now in the present. Let's look at these one at a time. First, back in the past, 2,000 years ago, God accomplished reconciliation by doing something. And here's what he did. He didn't count our trespasses against us. Trespasses, just another word for sins, okay? He didn't count our sins against us. Now, you may not think this is a big deal. David in Psalm 32, it made him sing, okay? Right? He says, how blessed is the man whose sins are, are forgiven, whose iniquities are covered. How blessed is the man against whom the Lord will never count his trespasses. But how can God do that? You and I have really trespassed against God. These are not imaginary things. This is more than just a Christian mantra that all have fallen short of the glory of God, right? That's true. But it's more than just something we say. We really have trespassed against God. How can he just say, you know what? I'm just not going to count those against you. God has held out a no trespassing sign. Lots of them. Through his law. And we have run roughshod over them. We've snuck around them. We've run over them. We have chopped them down and thrown them into the fire. So how does God not count our sins against us? In our day, all the wrong questions, well, I shouldn't say all the wrong questions. The wrong questions are asked very often. Have you ever heard someone ask this question before? How can a good and loving God send people to hell? And the Bible certainly grapples with that that idea, that issue. It certainly does. But the Bible never presents that as an obstacle that God somehow has to figure out how to get around. The real question is this. How can a good and holy and righteous and loving God Forgive and reconcile rebels and enemies? That's the real question. How does God do this? How can God be both righteous and forgiving, both just and gracious? How can He be loving and reconciling to those who have sinned so grievously against Him? Here's how. He doesn't count our trespasses against us. We've already talked about that. 
because he counts them against Jesus. Instead of God counting your sins against you, he counted them against Christ. 2,000 years ago, God dished out the punishment you and I deserve on our willing substitute, Jesus Christ. He took what we deserve on the cross. And that is the definition of love. That is love, John says. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus took what we deserve, namely punishment, in order to give us what we don't deserve, namely mercy and reconciliation. Here's how verse 21 says this. Verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin for us, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took all your sin, in order to give you all of his righteousness. Not a part, not for a season, not for a little while until you kind of get your act together. He took all of your sin in order to give you all of his righteousness. If you have received Christ with the empty hands of faith, and I I hope everyone here has. If you haven't, I hope you do today. If you have received Christ with the empty hands of faith, you just come to him and say, I just need your salvation. I need your reconciliation. Here's what God wants you to know. God wants you to know this today. He has exchanged all of your evil for all of his goodness. He has exchanged all of your sin for all of his mercy. He has reconciled you to himself and there is nothing you can do about that. It is done. It's finished. The cross of Jesus Christ changes everything for you and it changes everything for God. This is what has been called the great exchange. This is why Jesus is called our substitute and we ought to give God thanks day and night, night and day, letting this incense rise to God. So that's what God did 2,000 years ago. This is how reconciliation came down back then. In this sense, God has reconciled the world to himself. But what about in the present? Right? Because we live in a world where lots of people are estranged from God, alienated from God, distant from God, don't know God, don't want to know God. How does this come down into experience in the present? How is the agenda of God reconciling the world to himself moving in the present? How is reconciliation invading actual lives right now? After God reconciles us, here's what he does. He enlists us into ministry. He enlists you and I into ministry. Not one Christian is exempt from this. Not one Christian can, can get an exemption status. It's just, it's not for you, okay? It's not, it doesn't exist. We all are called into ministry. We all are called into the ministry of reconciliation. Here's what Paul says in verse 19. He says, he he reconciles us to himself and he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. So God has entrusted to people like you and me 
and to gospel-centered churches like this church and many other churches, the ministry and the message of reconciliation. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was looking for some people to change the world, to use to change the world, I probably wouldn't look for someone like me. I would go look for some people that are a little bit, little bit better. But God chooses the weak things. God chooses the foolish things so that he is glorified in it. Amen? In other words, this is way over our, this is, this is above our pay grade. It is. But God's good with that. He's good with that. So what does this ministry look like? In the present, the ministry of reconciliation continues. God's reconciling agenda is on the move through people like you and me, believers in Christ who have been reconciled through his blood. What does this ministry look like? I have four things. This ministry identifies real need, one. Two, its goal is a new creation. Three, it is a partnership. And four, it is urgent. Let's take those one at a time. It identifies real need. Verse 16 says this, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. We live in a city and in an area where we can go days without seeing hardly anyone who has visible, substantial need. Right? We live in an upper middle class community, very affluent. People are generally on the outside doing well. The clothes people wear, the cars that they drive, the smile on their face, the apparent success in business, the house that people live in, the vacations that they take, give us the illusion that everything is okay. On the outside, it may appear that the majority of people are doing just fine whether they have Jesus or not. But we shouldn't fool ourselves into thinking that because people appear to be getting along fine without Jesus, that they really don't need him. We know better than that, don't we? I mean, Jesus shares the story of the, the wealthy man who, um, who had, a, had a lot. And he says, you know what? I have so much. I'm going to build a bigger barn so I can store more stuff in it. And all of a sudden, the man one day dies. All of his stuff is sold. He didn't know God. And it is a tragedy. To view people merely on the external matters of life is to view them according to the flesh. And it's so easy to do it, especially in our culture, in our city, and in our, even in our nation, which is largely affluent Paul says, this is to regard people according to the flesh. Don't do that. Paul says, we don't do that anymore. We need to get a fundamental distinction correct in our minds and in our hearts. This is what it is. People are either in Christ or they are not in Christ. People are either reconciled to God or they are not reconciled to God. People either have their sins not counted against them or one day they will have all of their sins counted against them. And it doesn't matter what house they live in, what job they have, how much money they have, the smile even on their face. People are either dead in their sin or alive in Christ. 
This is the new perspective that characterizes the ministry of reconciliation. And I need help with this. I'm asking God, help me. Help me to see by faith underneath the surface people's real need. People's real need. We want to see and discern the eternal needs that people have. There is no other Savior but Christ. As the children learned last week in Sunday school, the only Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other. So the ministry of reconciliation identifies real need. The ministry of reconciliation has a goal as well, and the goal is a new creation. Verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. The ministry of reconciliation is after new creation. The goal is not to try to get people to be nicer, although I think it will make people nicer. Okay, Christ makes people nicer, doesn't he? Hopefully. He should. Okay, But our goal is not to get people to be nicer, just to be nice boys and girls or men and women. Our goal is not to get people to follow a code of conduct, you know, kind of like a list, an, an updated list of you shalls and you shall nots. Okay? It is not to try to get people to pray a prayer or to take on a group of spiritual disciplines. It is not to create an us versus them culture. The ministry of reconciliation is fundamentally about a new creation. It's about people being made brand new. Here's what Ezekiel Chapter 36 explains it this way. This is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone and, and, and the heart of flesh and, excuse me, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all of my rules. God says, I'm going to, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something. It's going to blow your socks off. I mean, this is like, this is otherworldly. I'm going to take out your heart that you have. And I'm going to give you a brand new one. And I'm going to put my very Holy Spirit inside of you. And I'm going to work in your life so that you will obey me. It's not you better. It is empowered by the Holy Spirit. You will. Because you're a new creation in Christ. Paul says, whoever's in Christ is a new creation. This is not something normal. This is not something ho-hum. This is a supernatural thing. It is a miracle. When Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, which is, which is to say made a new creation, Nicodemus' response is not out of line when he said this, how can this be? Listen, we've heard born, if you've you've been in the church for very long at all, you've heard born again talk. But we can't lose sight of the wonder of what this is. Nicodemus said, how can this be? Can a grown man go back into his mother's womb? 
Imagine if Jesus had said to Nicodemus, you must, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he prays a prayer. You know what Nicodemus would have done? No biggie. Shrugged his shoulders, walked away. Great. Imagine if he would have said, you will never see the kingdom of God unless you do these six things. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was perfect at that. Jesus said, you will never see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Unless you are made new, unless you're completely renovated from the inside out. This is what is needed. This is what has happened to you if you are in Christ. You've been made new. This is the great need of the world. This is reconciliation. I mean, what is the heart of stone? The heart of stone is a heart that is like a stone. You ever gone out to a stone? Has it ever, have, have you ever spoke to a stone? I hope not. Okay. But if you have, I guarantee it never spoke back to you, did it? It was dead to you. It is dead to you. We had hearts of stone, unresponsive to God, didn't care about him, didn't want him intruding in our lives, wanted to do life our own way. There are some here today, you're still there. You want to do life your own way. God, for those who are in Christ, new creations, he took out that heart and he put in a heart of flesh that is now responsive to him and loves him and wants to obey him. Not, we don't do it perfectly, but wants to obey him. In a world with so much anger, strife, bitterness, unforgiveness, war, divorce, murder, broken relationships, backbiting, and all the rest, I can't think of anything more relevant than the ministry of reconciliation through people being made new in Christ. Some might be thinking, no, we need something more than that. We need something more than just that. Well, this is God's agenda. This is God's agenda, and I think we ought to get on board with him. George Whitfield, who was a, a famous evangelist during the time of the Great Awakening, used powerfully by God, <clears throat> he preached a ton on the new creation, on being made new, on being born again. And one time somebody asked him, why do you say you must be born again so much? And you know what his response was? Because you must be born again. It's as simple as that. You must be born again. The ministry of reconciliation about people being brought back to God as a new man as a new woman, as a new child in Christ, as a new creation. The new, excuse me, the, the ministry of reconciliation is also a partnership. This ministry that you and I are called to, I, don't, I hope you're blown away by this today, is a partnership with God. This idea runs through the whole pa- this whole passage and I think it's amazing. I mean, the language almost feels like we are stepping over into an area, like Area 51 or something like this, this area that's like off limits. And unless God was so clear about it, we'd say, I don't know about that. 
But God is so clear here. He calls us into partnership with him in this ministry. He's not just saying, you, John, go serve me. Lana, serve me. He's saying, come join my work. Come get on board with what I'm doing and work with me and work on my behalf. Here's what it says in verse 20. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. I don't know about you, but I, when I was thinking about this this weekend, I was just like, this is, this is like holy ground. I think this is holy ground. I mean, just seems, it seems so strange that God would say, I am calling you to be my ambassador. An ambassador is one sent from a country, from a king or a president or a government, over to another kingdom, to another place, to another country, to represent them to represent their interests, to speak on behalf of the government that they're sent from. And we are called ambassadors. Verse 1 of chapter 6, Paul says, we are working together with him, namely God. There is nothing in ministry that is insignificant. If we get this. Nothing in ministry is insignificant if we get this. Because we are working together with him. Right? We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Way too many Christians simply want to make sure they're saved for eternity. And then they want God to bless them in their own earthly endeavors. Can I tell you something? You were made for so much more than that. You're called to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I don't care how great you think your job is or your life is. If it doesn't have this, you're missing out on something so amazing, so awesome. There is no vain labor in the ministry of reconciliation that you and I are called to because we are working together with him. It is wrong to think that God needs us because he doesn't need anything. But here's how I think it works. I found this helpful. Uh, Charles Spurgeon preacher in England in the 1800s called the Prince of Preachers, hero of mine, amazing man. Speaking of God's ongoing mission in the world, here's what he said. He said, without God, we can't. Without us, God won't. Without God, we can't, right? We can't do anything of value. But without us, God has decided he won't. He has chosen to use his people, Christians, followers of Christ, reconciled through Jesus' blood to continue his ministry. Which is why it says God is making his appeal through us. You know what this means? When we speak, Christ is speaking. When we appeal, Christ is appealing. I had this this passage in my mind last week as Jason Anderson and I went to Bethel Mission um, and did the chapel service down there. And I was standing before 60, 70 guys down there. And it was so, I'd never felt it like that before. I was standing before them and I was appealing to them. Be 
reconciled to God. Because I was speaking on behalf of God. I was saying on behalf of Jesus himself. It was like Jesus was standing there, not because I'm so great, but because I am an ambassador of Christ. Be reconciled to God. When we implore on behalf of Christ, it is Christ imploring. It is Christ pleading. It is Christ begging even for people to be reconciled to God. Finally, this ministry of reconciliation is urgent. It's urgent. It is a ministry ministry struck through with great urgency. One thing that really hit me this week as I was thinking about this text is the urgency in the whole passage. Paul is very serious. He's not just like, yeah, this is kind of a fun message, isn't it? Isn't this fun? I mean, it doesn't have fun in there at all. Paul is serious and very urgent. Paul is wearing his emotions on his sleeve here in this passage. There is urgency and lots of emotion here. Listen to what Paul says. He says, we implore you to be reconciled to God. The New American Standard Bible says, we beg you, we beg. Paul says, we beg you to be reconciled to God. Then Paul says, we appeal to you in chapter six, verse one. This phrase communicates coming to someone alongside him or her with your arm around them and entreating them. Come on, let's go. Then, of course, he puts the emphasis on, on chapter six, in, in chapter 6, verse 2, on today. There is nothing casual about this ministry. There's nothing casual about the appeal that Paul gives in this passage, and we should not take it so casually either. Why the urgency, though? Well, verse 2 tells us plainly, it's because today is the day. Today is the day. It's urgent because God is appealing through me and through you as we are speaking to others to be reconciled, to to receive God's favor, not next week, not tomorrow, but today. Today, right now. Isn't that what he says? In a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The time with God is always now. It's always today. It's not tomorrow, not next week, not when it seems like things are going better or timing is better, right? I say this often, but we sing the song, the old Celtic hymn, Come Ye Sinners. There's a line that says, if you wait until you're better, you will never come at all. You'll never come to Jesus if you wait until you're better. Not when you think you got your act together. No, now. It's urgent. Now. Nobody here, no one here, no one in the world is guaranteed another day. Now, you've heard that before. That's true. I I once read a, a Puritan preacher said, it would do Christians good to think about death for a little while every day. Sounds kind of morbid, but I think it probably would do us good. No one here is guaranteed another day. Your friend who does not know Christ is not guaranteed another day. Hundreds of thousands of people started last week and didn't make it through in the world. 
It's urgent because the stakes are high. Here's how I want to end our time this morning. Today, if you are here, and I'm not, I want to frame this the right way. If you don't know God to be near, if you don't know him as your loving father, if you don't know Jesus as your friend, if you don't know God as, I heard it put this way this last week, a tender companion to you, be reconciled to God. I speak on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to him. He has done everything necessary. If you draw near to him, he will not count your sins against you because they were already counted against Christ 2,000 years ago. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Notice I'm not asking if you can remember a time when you prayed a prayer or when you had some kind of wow experience. I'm saying, is God near to you? Is God near? Be reconciled to him through Christ. If you have been reconciled and you know God as Father and you know Jesus as friend and Savior, then you have received the ministry of reconciliation. You are an ambassador for Christ. You are an ambassador for Christ. God has put you around people in a certain setting with your work. He is sovereign over all of it. And he has you there for a reason. You're an ambassador for Jesus. Finally, I want to I challenge us as a church to seek to be a place of reconciliation. Do you know what happens when there's a culture of reconciliation? Love flows and forgiveness flows and bitterness is on its way out. And when we're reconciled to God and we know it, there's reconciliation between people, right? There's forgiveness. There's acceptance. You know, tension is not high. Tension's low or tension's out, right? When there's not a culture of reconciliation, it's tense, Always kind of wondering if people like you. Kind of wondering what people think of you. Let's work on being a place where we are reconcilers through Christ. Let's work to be this for our city. Ankeny needs it. It's just like any other city. It's a dog-eat-dog city. It needs reconciliation. I wonder if there's anyone here who feels like this is beyond you. If you feel that way, that's good. It is beyond you. It should feel like it's beyond you because we need God. Remember what Spurgeon said? Without God, we can't. Without him, excuse me, without us, God won't. Let's pray. Let's close our time just in prayer and ask for the Holy Spirit to come and give us a sense of 
his commissioning and his calling to this ministry. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you. God, your word says just so clearly right here, we are ambassadors for Christ. Every Christian is. If someone says, I don't want to be an ambassador for Christ, but I want to be a Christian, that's not part of the deal. I pray that you'd send your Holy Spirit down upon us. This is so far beyond us in ourselves. And yet, God, your word says that through Christ, we can do all things. So Holy Spirit, would you come, descend upon us in Jesus' name. Would you come, fall upon us, give us a sense of uh, maybe for the first time or maybe again, of your commissioning of us to this ministry of reconciliation. God, I can't think of anything more relevant in your world that is broken and fallen and hurting than for Christians reconciled to you through Christ, seeking to bring the ministry, the message of reconciliation to all that we can. I pray this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.